Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source. Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. If you're not an Athletic subscriber, well, what are you waiting for? Theathletic.com slash Straight from the Source will get you in for $3.99 a month. Trust me. Uh, ask anybody that subscribes to The Athletic, and they'll tell you what value uh, The Athletic brings to their sports lives. If you are any fan of any sport, any league, any team, we have it covered like a blanket, especially the Minnesota Wild. So, again, uh, hope you join us. We have uh, some awesome stories on the horizon. And, uh, and again, you can go through the app and it's archived uh, to the nth degree. You can go back and read any story that you might have missed. Um, my guest today is Chris O'Hearn, the Wild Assistant General Manager. And this is a very special episode of Straight from the Source. It's my 100th episode of this podcast. And it's so funny. I was just thinking back when uh, Jeff Domet, our incredible producer, told me um, that this was the 100th episode. And Jeff has produced virtually every single one of my episodes. And I just remember sitting down in the concierge lounge of the Marriott in downtown Vancouver during the draft uh, probably three summers ago with Adam Hansman, our co-founder, and David Ortenberg, our chief legal Council, and we were talking about a bunch of stuff and their their you know vision of starting podcasts at the athletic and I'm like, oh, I'd be interested in that and Adam actually said to me, you know we wanted to bring this up to you, but but we you know you have a lot on your plate, and so if you want to start one up, uh, be my guest, but don't feel you have to do one every single week, just do one at your convenience. We don't want it to you know quote unquote interfere with your day job, and here we are a hundred episodes in, and I don't think I've missed uh, more than a week or two throughout this because this has really become a platform that I absolutely love because, you know, it's it's interviewing people that I really respect and, and letting you know, especially Minnesota Wild players and staff and, and managers and coaches, uh, more into them um, and their, you know, what they are like personally. Like last week, Capo Kakin, and I bet a lot of Wild fans didn't know a lot about him. And here he is, four victories in a row for the injured Cam Talbot. And um, hopefully you enjoyed that podcast. And if, if you're interested in any other of the podcasts, again, um, either whatever platform Form you're listening on, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or on our incredible uh, The Athletic app or uh, The Athletic website, you can go through all the archives. And if you might have missed anybody from Kevin Fiala to uh, whoever, uh, you can go back and listen to those podcasts. They're all archived on there, all 100 of them. Um, exciting uh, uh, week for the Wild. 
Um, and I said Capo Kakinen uh, has four wins in a row. It's actually three zero and one. The Wild are three zero and one since losing in the Winter Classic, and Capo uh, Kakinen's been net in net for every one of them. He very well deserved a victory the other night in um, in Colorado. He was just outstanding in that game. Uh, looked like he made the save of his life on Nathan McKinnon, but uh, replays seemed to show that the puck was under his uh, his pad, like between the laces and the pad of of his skate. Um, you know the wild. The wild obviously contest, contested that. Um, Dean Evison, you know the old rule book, and basically the rule book always says that you have to see the puck clearly over the line um, to determine if it's a good goal. But we have seen time and time again that sometimes logic does prevail, and that's how the NHL decides if goals are good. And this is not just against the Wild. I remember still to this day, many, many, many years ago, uh, we're talking 13, 14, 15 years ago because he retired in 2007, I believe, uh, Wes Walls scored an overtime goal. Um, it was either 2007 or nine. I can't remember that he retired, but it was it was you know more than a decade ago easily that he scored a goal where he the puck rolled up his pant leg. He crashed into the net in overtime. You never see the puck in the net when he comes out of the the net. Then the puck falls out of his uh, pant, and that's why the league gave him an overtime winner. But you never actually see the puck clearly over the goal line. So this has happened before, and in this case, um, it was pretty clear what happened there. And I do believe that Capo Kakinen had no idea where the puck was because you could see on replay he's feeling for his pads and all this stuff. Um, but he smartly pressed his his uh, basically lower leg against the ice and dragged his leg out with the help of a teammate. And um, the puck falls out of the same area that the league says um, they have a screen capture of the puck between his laces and his pad. And it looks like you could actually see the Colorado Avalanche logo on uh, on that, which I don't think that that Capo Kakinen has on his equipment. So look, uh, you know, they, they deduced that it was a goal, but what the wild did right afterwards um, was what good teams do. Uh, They, they pull the goalie and 40 seconds later, seven seconds into the extra attacker for the 11th time this season, the wild uh, score a six on five goal, um, not tie the game on a six on five, but score a six on five goal with an extra attacker on the ice. And Kaprizov gets it done. His second goal of the third period to tie the game. And uh, the Wild go on and, and lose the skills competition, the shootout. Um, easily could have won in overtime. I believe Kevin Fiala's shot with at the buzzer pretty much hit Alex Goligoski and hit the outside of the net. But that easily um, could have been an overtime winner. Boldy on the same shift and earlier in, the, in overtime as well had a couple chances. On that same shift as well, Kevin Fiala had another chance. Um, so the Wild played really well in a game that it looked like in the first period they were two steps behind and looked like that game turned upside down when the Wild took a couple penalties there at the end of the first period. And essentially, uh, Colorado scored two power play goals. One, a five-on-three goal by Miko Rantanen. The other, uh, Alex Newhook scored four seconds after Hartman's penalty. Um, expired. So the Wild get a point there. They're now 3-0-1, of course, in the midst of another four or five-day break here before home-and-home against with the Chicago Blackhawks, including Hockey Day Minnesota at home on Saturday night with Hockey Day down in Mankato and the Blackhawks coming in town for the second half of the back-to-back. We should see Jared Spurgeon, Yule Eriksson-Eck, and Cam Talbot return uh, this weekend. Eriksson Eck was supposed to return from the injury. Then he tests positive for COVID. So he gets another five days off, which isn't uh, the worst thing in the world uh, for a guy that had a major injury uh, December 20th in Dallas. 
Um, Jared Spurgeon has had a, um, you know, obviously a nagging lower body injury here or abdominal issues. Something is going on. So this extra rest hopefully will help him as well. We'll see if he plays both games this weekend or just one of the two if they don't want to risk him playing a back-to-back. And same thing with Cam Talbot. We expect that uh, that Capo Kakinen and Cam Talbot will switch, uh, will will swap each game and, and one will start the other. We'll see if, you know, my gut says the smartest thing to do would be to put Cam Talbot in Chicago and put Capo Kakinen, the hot guy, in the second half of back-to-back, maybe behind a tired team. But maybe the Wilds say, you know what, our best opportunity to win that game is to use Capo in um, in Chicago and play Cam at home. We'll see. But then after that, it's going to be really interesting because Capo's played really well. He's gained a lot of confidence inside that room and with that coaching staff, and we'll see how the Wild switch their goalies from here on out. The one thing that I did report last night that should come out either today or tomorrow is the Wild are going to need both goalies to play well. So this is not a situation of like goalie controversy or is Capo going to be the number one from now on. They're going to need both goalies here down the stretch because the NHL has rescheduled the wild schedule. If nothing changes by the time they release this, and there have been a lot of changes here, even up until the last 24 hours, the wild are going to play 40 games in the last 77 days. Now that to me is unconscionable for a team that's played five in the last 30 Five games in the last 30. It's, we're 19 days into this month. They're la- they only played, they played no games in the final 11 days of December. There were plenty of opportunities here the last couple of weeks. Now, maybe the Wild didn't want it because they had a bunch of injuries and it probably helped them not playing these games. But there had been plenty of time in these last couple of weeks with all the lapses the Wild have had that they could have brought Florida here for a game, that they could have definitely brought Carolina here before the Philly game last week. They That was wind up being postponed for no reason as well. And they could have brought uh, Detroit here. So now you're you're putting the Wild in a position where they've got to play 40 games in 77 days when they were not a team that even had an outbreak that caused any of these postponements. You're putting them in a position where they got to play 40 games in 77 days, probably in front of no fans in Canada anyway, when those games were canceled because there were no games in Canada to begin with. It makes absolutely no sense. And I know that, look, I don't have all the information. It is not easy rescheduling 32 teams. I get all that. But But you can't tell me that in the last three, four weeks where the Wild played five games in 30, that you couldn't have brought at least some of the teams in here to play some of these home games. And now the Wild are going to be in this position where they've got to, you know, essentially exhaust themselves going into the playoffs, um, risk injury, things like that. Um, It just, I don't know, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. A couple other things I wanted to bring up. Uh, Kevin Fiala playing outstanding hockey right now. Um, We've seen it so many times in his career here already in Minnesota that he gets on these scorching, scorching tears. And we're seeing maybe the beginning of one now. He's got five goals in his last six games, a six-game point streak, huge goals every night. Responded to the game that he was benched in the third period with the the big play uh, to set up Matt Zuccarello's uh, game-tying goal and scores the shootout deciding goal. So it's really cool to see Fiala playing really, really well right now. Matt Boldy absolutely looks like he's here to stay. In fact, that's one reason why the Wild put up Rem Pitlick on waivers last week and, and lost him via waivers to the Montreal Canadiens. Um, they, they, I mean, the biggest reason is that they would love the way that Connor Durer is playing, but Matt Boldy is just playing 
super, super well right now. Um, so that is pretty neat to see. And uh, Marco Rossi goes back to the minors. And, uh, you know, I think he gets a little bit of a taste of what um, the NHL is like, and that will only help him in the long run. A couple other things, the Ryan Hartman uh, penalty that he took in the third period the other day, you could see both sides. Um, you know, the referees, I'm sure, did not like that he was laying on his stomach, almost like he was on a chaise lounge in the Bahamas in the middle of a bye week or something. But the reality is, is that the rule book states that if you block a shot, and it's under your body, you are do a whistle and it's not supposed to be a delay a game penalty. The only reason why Hartman was whistled for a delay a game penalty is the referees didn't do their job and blow the whistle. That is what they were supposed to do. They were not supposed to um, make the player move the puck after blocking a shot when he is laying down in the slot with five avalanche players around him. That is the point of the whistle there. And the, ref- the rule book states that clearly. And then Hartman in the third period is also interfered with blatantly by Nathan McKinnon. And I do think that we are starting to see a trait here where referees are essentially, um, you know, maybe it's because of the way he plays, whether he talks to them, whatever it is, but it does seem like we see it time and time again, where referees don't seem to give Ryan Hartman the benefit of the doubt, but call him for every single penalty, even the hooking penalty that he took in the first period, which look, he reached. And so you put yourself in a position to get called on that penalty. But if you look at the replay, very subtly, Nathan McKinnon takes the fingers of his um, uh, of glove off his stick and holds it around um, the blade of Ryan Hartman and holds it there to draw the penalty. So uh, clearly, um, Nathan McKinnon, a veteran move there by knowing that they're at the start of a power play and they can easily get a five on three and the referee's bit there. So this just does seem to be a Ryan Hartman um, issue here where he might have to start to figure out a way to, I don't know, play a clean game or stay off the referees because it seems like he's not getting the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what it was. It's just too coincidental that uh, two referees either don't know the rule book or call him for that delay again penalty and then watch Nathan McKinnon blatantly interfere with him in the neutral zone and not not um, not call it. You know, superstar calls, no doubt about it. Nathan McKinnon is an absolute stud. The guy is like very few players I've ever seen. He's a bull on skates. It's every time he touches the puck, when you watch him live, you think he's going to score. So um, it's pretty uh, pretty um, remarkable to see. And unfortunately, the Wild are going to have to contend with him for many, many years to come because eventually he's due a huge extension, a long extension in Colorado to catch him up with guys like Rantanen and Landeskog, who uh, recently got extensions as well. Um, really a uh, fun podcast ahead with Chris O'Hearn, the assistant GM. This is somebody that you see his name a lot in The Athletic, a lot in all the newspapers here. You hear about him. He negotiates all the wild contracts. He's basically their cap manipulator. He's the guy that has to figure out when they have outbreaks, how they how they manage the roster and things like that. But a lot of people don't know anything about him other than Paul Fenton hired him and Bill Guerin kept him on. So obviously he did something to prove himself to Bill Guerin as well because a lot of times when a new GM comes in, I'm sure that Chris O'Hearn felt a little vulnerable that he came to Minnesota and was going to wind up without a job right away. So clearly, um, and not only that, remember, he was hired as director of hockey operations and got promoted to assistant GM by Bill Guerin. Um, so I just wanted uh, people to learn a little bit about Chris because he's got a fascinating background. He started as a stick boy in Arizona, and um, there are a lot of people in this league that know him a long, long time, including the wild equipment manager, Tony DeCosta. We'll talk about that with Chris as well. So without further ado, here's Chris O'Hearn. But first, here's a word from one of our sponsors. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. 
even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Well, as mentioned, uh, welcome uh, to Chris O'Hearn. I'm coming to you from uh, your office, Chris. And the first thing I'm struck by is how clean it is. <laughs> I figured I'd walk in here and it would just be papers streamed everywhere and it's just clean. I don't know if you cleaned it purposely because you knew the beat writer was about to come in your office, but uh, it's mm. pretty clean. No, I am I am a little, I, there's an OCD <laughs> strain in me that, that keeps it this way. It's, it's uh, yeah, I try and keep my house, my workplace, everything. It's, I, I, it's. I get very anxious when I'm in messy areas. Let me ask you, one thing I'm always amazed by you is like I always see you on the road and you, and same thing, it's not like you're carrying like a giant book bag of papers and things like that. Back when, back when I first started covering the league, everything was done manually. Like if you put a guy on IR, if you, uh, if you traded a player, if you put a, whatever, anything, there was always like this, you know, uniform form to fill out and you fax it to the league, all that stuff. Is everything done electronically now or is it still archaic where you actually have a, like a, like a, you know, injured reserve form or stuff like that. It's somewhere in the middle. And I was actually commenting on my, my wife last night because I was sitting in my kitchen doing a bunch of transactions. And there still is a form. There still is a form <laughs> I need to fill out for an IR form or a transfer form or all that kind of stuff. But yes, like you said, when I, when I started in, I started in 2007, I had to fax everything. I had to fax it to the, to the league to the Players Association, to the AHL, to the uh, AHL Players Association. So I had, had, when we would make any transaction, I'd have to go find a fax machine. And it was, you know, it was a pain in the neck. You'd be sitting there on a weekend and we'd make a transaction. I had to go drive. I didn't have a fax machine in my house. And <laughs> the drive to the office and fax a bunch of stuff and keep all the receipts to make sure they went through. And and so then a number of years ago, I, it, I, I can't even think now, it's probably been, it's got to be, seven or eight years ago we went to they would accept scanned copies uh-huh. so now you you know like you have the scan of you know the turbo scan type apps you use so i i still yeah i have to i have to write out those forms but i can sit in my kitchen like i did last night snap a picture <laughs> email it to all those people so wow. that was a game changer yeah it's you know there's no there's no secured site i can go into i think the you know the actually the ahl has that the nhl doesn't um but it's it's for me for it makes me feel quite old <laughs> considering <laughs> that I was, yeah, I was faxing a lot and back in the day. Yeah. And you don't look old. Um, how old are you? I'm 39. Wow. Assistant general manager and national hockey league team, 39. That's, that's awesome. Um, we'll, we'll talk about all the nitty gritty of your job in a little while. Um, but, uh, you know, first of all, welcome to the hundredth episode of straight from the source. Uh, I'm glad that you, uh, agreed to come on here. And the, the one thing that I love about these podcasts is it t- tells, you know, wild fan, introduces wild fans to people that they might not know about. I did Kakinen last week. I bet a lot of wild fans don't know that. Wild fans see your name all the time as assistant GM Chris O'Hearn did this, that, but we've never actually really um, talked to you uh, in a setting like this. And so first to introduce people to where you are, great first question from a guy named Tony DeCosta wants to know if he was ever your boss. So this, like, thought, I thought this would be the perfect way to sort of introduce you. Let's tell everybody how you got started, starting in Winnipeg and then going at Phoenix. Yeah, so yeah, to- I, Tony was my boss. <laughs> Tony, um, the the equipment manager of the Minnesota Wild, yeah. used to be your boss. Yeah, I've known Tony since, 
my entire life, I probably, I guess since I was literally probably maybe even in diapers, um, I, my dad worked for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I, I was born in Toronto. We moved to Winnipeg. My dad got a job. He was in broadcasting and he was the, I guess, Mike, the, right? Mike O'Hearn. Yep. yep. And he got a job in, um, in Winnipeg. He, um, I guess at the time, you know, in radio, he would have been like the, you know, intermission reporter, pre and post game host, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's so, that's how we ended up in Winnipeg. He went on to become the color commentator for the Jets. And then over time, and I can't, I don't know the exact timeline, but sometime in probably the late eighties to very early nineties, he got in on the hockey operations side, um, as the director of hockey ops and, and then sort of worked his way up. He then became assistant general manager and that's, and that's where, um, we moved down. I was in high school and we moved down from Winnipeg to Phoenix in 1996. He was the assistant general manager at the time. Um, and so, yeah, so Tony DaCosta, Tony DaCosta, I think started, you know, as a teenager was a stick boy, um, with the Winnipeg Jets starting probably sometime in the mid eighties, I guess. And so I, I'd known him literally, I don't have any recollections of not knowing Tony in my life, <laughs> you know, from being a kid hanging out on weekends at practices at, if, with the Jets back in the day. And then, and then when we moved down here, I was, you know, I was, I was a teenager and I'd kind of become, I'd started doing the stick boy thing here with, uh, with those guys. And so I worked for, yeah, I think Tony was here for, or with us in Arizona for four years before Minnesota mm -hmm. came into the league and he got that job here. So yeah, for, for four years, I think it was, he was, uh, he was kind of my boss. I would help him, uh, you know, I'd help him with, he was a lot of times he'd work on the visiting side too and take teams in and out of, of the city and pickups and and take him out after the games and I would help him load up and yeah it was a lot a lot of time spent with him we he he I was you know when I was when I didn't have a driver's license he'd drive me home and after games and all that so That's we've awesome. we've I've known him for yeah, yeah literally, literally I don't I don't have any part of my life where I don't remember were you, don't, so know. you were a stick boy in Phoenix were you also one in, in Winnipeg I try I think I can't remember if my last year in Winnipeg I was I was that last season I was I was around a lot and I I. I, I think I was, I think I was still, I was only still like 13 turning mm -hmm. 14. I, you know, it was, I think I was kind of just doing a little bit here and there. Um, but when I, that first year in Phoenix and I was six, it was, yeah, it was kind of, that was my job. Uh, I did that. And I actually, I was actually the bat boy for the Arizona Diamondbacks as well. Wow. For, for a, a number of years in that, in that time frame when, when I was kind of late into high school. So that was, that uh, was, I had my hands full with, uh, with the sports and I was, it was awesome. It was just right. to, to get to, you know, at that age, just to get to be, your job was to either in, in the winter and the fall to go to Coyotes games and hang mm -hmm. out and, and just be around the guys in the locker room and then flip it over into the spring and summer and, and go to what back then was Bank One Ballpark and the Diamondbacks. And, and there was the good teams, you know, the, the Randy Johnson right. and all those guys. It was fun. It was, it was exciting. You, um, I'm trying to do the math in my head real quick. Uh, so Timo Solani was at the, you were very young when Timo yep. was there, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, when he had a 76 goal season, you were probably I was at diapers. that game. I was at, okay. you, know, you, you, all, you all see that, that highlight of him uh -huh. scoring the goal and throwing his glove in the air. I remember being at that game and that was, that was, he had the hat trick that, I think it was a hat trick that game. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, I was, I was 10 years old that season. So wow. it was just, I, that was one of the more exciting parts of my childhood that I remember just that year. And he was, 
his he was such a big deal in that city that uh-huh. we, you know at least I was a kid, but you you didn't remember a guy being that yeah that big of a deal. And he was he was such a nice guy. I, mean, I was I was a little kid, but he was he was so nice to me. And it was just yeah. just to get to hang around, just be close to someone of that sort of caliber. Right. I'm sure you know people, a guy like a Kaprizov right now is that mm-hmm. sort of level of excitement for the fans. And so to be a ten year old kid and to have a front row seat and have to be able to walk in the locker room every day and have him sort of say hi to you, and, right? Yeah, and and. It was it was a you get, it was a blast. Yeah, and as you're saying this, the first thing that I'm thinking about is is guys like I, I used to love going into the America West Arena home locker room mm-hmm. and talking to guys like Keith Kachuk mm-hmm. and Jeremy Roenick. Mm-hmm. You probably know them more, you know, better than anybody. Uh, what was it like to kind of work with them uh, as as a stick boy and things like that? And and uh, I'm sure you and Bill Guerin have talked about some old. Kachuk and uh, Ronick stories. Yeah, no, that was, like I said, those, in those early years, those, we, they were good teams, those caddies. And we had yeah. a lot of great, like you said, like, like, yeah, Walt and JR. And then again, Teppo Newman and then Rick Tockett and, and, and all these, all these guys. It was, it was, it was a blast. Like, yeah, I've known Walt, Keith Kachuk for, since I was, you know, again, he came in that same year, uh, Tamo did, or maybe the year before a little bit, but he's been, he's treated me, incredibly well my whole life he's he's been a, he's i i love seeing him um so yeah he was i remember when uh when when billy was kind of getting this job it was i think he was maybe the first call i made was to was to keith just because i didn't know billy <laughs> but i knew those two guys were tight so, and he was one of those guys like yeah i was just hey do you mind putting in a good word for me and so but yeah it was i had a blast and he was there's just a ton of guys even to this day i still keep in touch with like i was you know like chris king yeah, who, I just talked to him the other night yeah, uh, after yeah, the yeah. the uh, the disallowed the overturned yeah. goal, McKinnon goal. Yeah, so or the he's allowed a, you know, McKinnon goal. That's a guy. I, I he's I I keep on him. Uh, you know, I love that guy. He's Norm McIver, guy. who's now yeah. in Seattle, who yep. played for us. Um, uh, Mike Stapleton, who scouts for Anaheim, he's in and yeah. out of here a lot. Those are those are guys that I I I, I love seeing still this day. I love keeping in touch with. Yeah. And you know, again, I was a kid when when I yeah. when they when they knew me. I was you know I was. Were you ever 12. around Todd Simpson down there? I was, but yeah, I, I can't say yeah. I, I don't. He was but, a yeah. beauty to cover. Yeah. I covered him in Florida because they think. got him from Phoenix. I think in the Sean yeah. Burke trade, maybe I don't remember. Yeah, I don't um, remember. And he wasn't. He wasn't there that long. Yeah. I'm trying, I mean, there was you know you got so many players. Yeah, you know, like remember Sean. You mentioned Sean Burke. Sean Burke is a guy that I I really really enjoy being. He came in right yeah. around 2000. I was probably 18, yeah. and and he, for us, he was he was a guy that just always he's one of the first guys that really treated me like I wasn't a kid. Yeah, and you I remember always, those people. Yeah, and I always yeah. appreciate that he would always just we. I, I remember in the locker room where it was set up, I would always stand kind of just when you were just trying to make yourself available right before the game time, and and just if you need, if guys needed something, I'd stand right by his locker, and and he would just talk to me. Yeah. And I always I always got a kick of it. And, and then we had the good fortune of working together for a long time in Arizona. He was the goalie coach and assistant to the general manager and so we 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 had a great time together and, and even after that you know he was huge we we drive down to games in tucson together he's 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 definitely one of the people in my professional career that i've that has taught me a ton and and gotten the chance to be with him and and see the way he thinks he's a really really yeah. sharp guy yeah and so i he's yeah. he's one you know i mean he was you know, he was at my wedding. He was, he's a very close friend of mine. Yeah, I, 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 I like him a lot. I covered him in Florida. He yeah. was always great to us down yeah. there. And that was back when, like, you really, it was a different world. Like, players and beat writers had a very different relationship. I mean, you'd share a cab to mm-hmm. the arena yeah. and go to dinner sometimes and things like that. It's very different, obviously, now. So, when, at what age did you get into the hockey ops with the, with the Coyotes? And how did that career take off? Yeah. So, I was, that was, I got hired in the summer of 2007. I had just graduated law school, like that 
summer. Um, so I was 25 and I just had, I was, I was actually out with my family. We were just taking a little quick vacation some point, probably in late July of that summer. And, uh, I got a call from a guy that with Coyotes and said, I think they're going to, you know, Don Moni had just gotten hired that summer. They'd, they'd made a big change that early in this, late in the spring, early summer, um, from Mike Barnett mm-hmm. to Don Moni got hired maybe in May. And so I got a call saying, you know what, I, I think they're, they're going to hire a director of hockey operations. And I was like, I, I don't think I'm qualified for that. <laughs> I, I literally never had a job. I, I, I mean, other than, again, my stick boy jobs or driving Zambonis or bat boy, like I never had a real job. I'd been in school up until, you know, a couple months prior. And so I, I called Don and I, I didn't know Don from Adam and I called him up and, and said, Hey, I, I heard this. And, um, he said, all right, yeah, it's, that's true. I'm looking for somebody. And he's like, uh, I'm looking for someone on the younger side who's ideally got a law degree or, or an MBA. And I said, well, I'm 25 years old and I just got my law degree a month ago. And <laughs> so he's like, oh. And, and, and I was in San Diego and he said, well, can you meet tomorrow? I said, yep. And I literally walked off the beach and packed up my stuff and got in the car and drove back to Phoenix. And, and then, yeah, I, on, he, uh, Don had come from New York. He'd been the Rangers for a long time. And I, so on my drive out there, I remember calling a lot of people that I, there'd been a lot of people that were working in New York at the time that had been in Arizona, Jim Schoenfeld, yeah. um, John Tortorella, um, Benoit Lair, who's still there. Um, Heck, Mike Barnett wound up going to New York. Yeah. After he left and so there's all these, and, and, and those three people I just mentioned, Shoney and, and Torts and, and Benny were incredibly close friends. Cause again, my dad worked for them. Mm-hmm. They were there in the early stages of the Coyotes and my dad was in the hockey ops. And so they were just really close friends of ours. And so I called and just said, Hey, do you mind putting a call into Don? Like, just so he can just have a sense of that. I'm just not some random guy who happened to track down his phone number. Right. And so I remember going in that next day and, and Brad Treleving had just started, I think Brad had started the week before. Um, I didn't know him either. And so I, I kind of go in the team offices and I'm waiting there. And I remember Brad comes to get me and I, we walk from the, the entrance of the office to Don's office in the back. And on the way, I'm passing all these people that who know me and, <laughs> you know, th- that have been there for years. Like, hey, Chris. And, and, and then I remember going to Don's office and Brad's like, everyone knows him. And then and Don says like, <laughs> well, yeah. Like he's like, and I got all these calls from Shoney and Benny. And, mm-hmm. they, and he's like, who are you? <laughs> and I just kind of, I kind of explained, well, here's my story here. And I, I do have a history in this, in, yeah, this, in organization. this organization. Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was a blast. We, 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 we sat there for many hours just talking. And it was one of those ones you, like I said, it was my first job interview, uh, but you just had a good feeling. Yeah. You just, I walked out of there. I remember calling my parents and be like, I don't, I don't, I can, I guess I have nothing to compare this to, but it felt really good. Yeah. It felt natural. And, and I, I just had a good feeling. And then I, th- I, it was, it was, I don't think it was the day after that, but maybe two days later, Don called and, and made me the offer. And it was, yeah, it was, I think the title at the time was the director of hockey administration. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so that was, that was, and it was really, yeah, within the week I was doing that. And so it was, I had a blast. It was, it was, I got an office and I, I remember they gave me an office. <laughs> and I had all these files and all this. And I remember just kind of sorting through and I was, and I was kind of going through them and all these old files that had old contracts that my dad had signed. Oh, it was, wow. So you're kind of sitting there and it's like yeah. oh, all these, all these contracts of people like Keith Kachuk or whatever. And it's like, my dad's 
signatures on all these all these all these forms that I'm doing and contracts. It's yeah, I was like, that's this is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I I love Don Maloney too. I'm yeah. I'm really tight with his brother Dave, yeah. who uh, my father always says is still the best captain that the Rangers <laughs> have ever had. He would probably still tell you that. And uh, Dave's a great guy, and yeah. I got to know Don because of that as well. No, Don so, and Brad were fantastic. I, the, again, yeah, I owe I I owe my start to those guys. If they don't if yeah. they don't give me that opportunity, then I'm not here. And and we had we were. We were seven, the three of us were together for seven years before Brad went to Calgary to be GM. And then Don and I had, I think, two more years after that together. And so it was, it was the three of us mm-hmm. going, I, again, I'm still, I still talk to those guys all the time. Still, it's, I, they're, they're like family to me. It's, right. I love those guys. And you, um, in Phoenix, did you, at the end, were you pretty much negotiating contracts just like you're doing here? Or what was your role there? Yeah. The you know, it's, well, it's, again, it's, it's, you kind of start out as you get going. Like even when Brad was there, you know, they, they kind of, start let me are you start with the entry level contracts and you mm-hmm. start i mean i think the first contract i did was matthew brodeur mm. uh which is you know was it i think he was like a fifth round draft pick maybe or something of the coyotes and and so you kind of start on the easier ones those entry level deals are there's a little less stakes there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of um rules and regulations of what can be involved in those so you, you kind of start with that and then you kind of work your way up to you know then you kind of start oh maybe i'll start uh, negotiating like real two ways you mm-hmm. know for call up guys stuff like that you know or, or second contracts out of the entry level deals and then you kind of no, then some lower level nhl one ways and yeah. you just kind of as you, i think as you get more comfortable then you start you know you get to i don't know i'm trying to think of in arizona like I, you know i'm trying to like i you know i i didn't do don was don liked doing it and just like here billy actually likes negotiating contracts too so we we both do it here a lot, but right. you know, you, you, I was, you, I was always the guy in this, you know, in the lead up preparing for it, and, and then right. and then helping Don or Brad, whoever was negotiating. Here's mm-hmm. here's all this information and, right. and prepping with them, and so yeah, you, it's one of those things. As time goes on, you get more comfortable, and they get more comfortable with you. You just kind of take on more and more, right. like with anything. Yeah. By the way, on a total aside, are you amazed at what? from when you started to what they are now, what minor leaguers get paid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it is, I mean, you got to, the part of you has to like, just yeah. hold your like breath when you're yeah. like signing a guy to a $400,000 minor league deal. And yeah. they used to make 60, it used to be yeah. like 67, five. Well, there right? used to be, and I, 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 I'm trying to think, I guess it was maybe the, the, the 11, 12 lockout or the 10, whatever year that lockout was, or 12, 13. 12, 13. But it was, they used to, or maybe, but maybe they got it right before that. They had that reentry rule that if you made yeah, over a hundred and five thousand yeah. dollars, you had to go on waivers to come back, and you, when you got called up, yep. and so you had all these really good players making all those guys who would make. You'd say, "Oh, these should be the highest paid guys in this league." They were making one hundred five because they wanted the easy access back into the league. If you were making more than that, the team was likely if because you, you're a good player, the team would say, "Well, we're not going to risk losing him down there." Just because we need to call him up for a couple games, mm-hmm. and so you would never call, if they wanted to make two fifty, you wouldn't call them up because you need to put them on waivers. And right. so all those top top guys were making one hundred and five because they just sort of bet they're like, "No, we're going to get called up and I'll get mm-hmm. NHL money." And and so once that one that once once that went away, then there was just like, "Well, well let's just take all the money we can get." Yeah, yeah it's, it's hey, crazy. look, it's you know what those guys work work hard. And yeah, yeah. You know what? There's. It's, you know, it's, it's a I, heck of a life. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's still, it's, and you know, it's not the longest of careers and, you yeah. know, you'd say, oh yeah, hey, a guy making $400,000 a lot of money. It's, it's a lot of money to, to most people. And, but those guys don't make it forever. And, yeah. and you know, you're, you're likely, even if you make that money for 10 years in the HL, yeah. you're probably not 
set for yeah. your life at the age of 36 when yeah. you're done. So, you know, I don't, I don't, those guys, those guys put in a lot, they put in just as much effort yep. as the guys making 4 million. Yep. So the one year that you were not with Arizona, Bradley Tree Living actually uh, brought you in as a scout, right? Uh, yeah. Sort of on a part-time yeah. basis. Yeah. It's more to keep yeah. you in the game. And, and you know, Don, that, that, and yeah. that point Don had joined him in, in Calgary and it was just, I said, you know, that, that summer, you know, you're kind of trying to find something. I talked to a, a bunch of teams and had a lot of, even, even into the season, I had some dialogue going and, and for whatever reason, nothing was going. And it was just, and I, I made a, I just, I was, I told myself, I'm going to, if I'm out, I'll, I'll give myself two more years. And if I can't in two years get back in, then I'll sort of be forced to find some, some new line of work. And, and so that was, that was helpful for Brad. He, for him to just kind of give me that just to, so I still stayed relevant. I was still visible, working, and, and you know, and and that's you know, it, it was it was. It, I think it just showed to people that you know, this is this guy's serious. about he mm -hmm. wants to do it, and and it was and it was different. It was kind of it was kind of fun for me, like just to do. And not that I hadn't scouted before, because I had, but I would never consider myself a scout. I, I know what I do, and I know where my strengths lie. But just to kind of take, you know, almost that full season to just scout and right. and actually try and maybe improve myself at that at that yeah. skill it was it was it was you did know, you do pros or, or yeah i just or? did pros you know mm -hmm. and i just stayed in arizona and like i said i i between going to games between the coyotes and the roadrunners you got a, quite a bit of games i think i took a couple trips to colorado or to california but i really kept it i mean mm -hmm. i said but you know between those two teams you could see three or four games every right. week and so yeah. it was you know i i had very small children at home. My, my daughter was not even, she was, she, I got let go in end of May and then she was born a week later. So my son wasn't even two. So we, and we had our hands full. It was, right. it, it actually turned out in the, in the grand scheme of things, it, it worked out well. I was, I was actually home quite a bit for those first six to eight months of my daughter's uh -huh. life and having two very small kids. It was, it was actually sort of worked out well. I was around and right. I helped my wife. And so, and then, yeah, fortunately, fortunately there was the, the opportunity in Minnesota present yeah. itself. And so we, uh, yeah. And, and how did that present itself? Like, did you have any history with Paul Fenton or how did that all come about? Well, no, um, yes and no. I mean, uh, Paul was a Winnipeg jet. Mm -hmm. And so my, when my dad was, I think when Paul was with the jets, my dad would might've been at that point had, he had moved from the broadcasting to the team side and was the PR guy. And back then it was just, it was so well, different. Well, your dad did everything. Yeah. Then. And, and, the, and the wow. way things worked back then, like it was such a smaller operation than how it yeah. is now. The, the PR guy would also be the team services guy and, and all these other things. Yeah. And he, I think even when he became the director of hockey operations, he was still doing help with PR and, and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So, so Paul, he knew, Paul knew my dad, Paul, I didn't, Paul doesn't didn't really. I mean, I think when I when we when I got to meet him and all that, he's like, oh, I, I do remember you. I was just a kid, but I said <laughs> I wouldn't have present. I wouldn't have said I know Paul. Yeah. I think I can't remember what year we got traded away from Winnipeg, but I if I was more than seven, I would have been surprised. And so, I you know I I had that little that connection to him. So it was a bit more of like, oh, he remembered my dad fondly. And so that was, I gave, I think that in some ways maybe give him a good feeling. But mm -hmm. Tom Kerber's was a bit more of a connection. Um, Tom had a pretty long history in Arizona. And so all those years that when I was a stick boy, he was there in some fashion. I didn't, I couldn't say I knew him that well. Again, knew my dad a little bit better than I did being a kid. Um, but my first year in Arizona, that 07, 08 season, 
was what was what ended up being Tom's last year at the organization. He went on to Tampa Bay that mm-hmm. summer as an AGM, but he was uh, he was living in Minnesota. He was you know he was he was our I don't know if he was our director of player personnel or something like that. Uh, and so he wasn't in Phoenix, um, but he would you know he'd come down training camp meetings, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And he would come down. His parents lived down in Arizona, so he'd be a bit down there a bit more than maybe uh, just the normal meeting times and. And he was, a, and I, I mentioned, you know, Sean Burke as being a guy that really, I really just always enjoyed being around. And TK was that exact guy. He, he was one of those guys. I, I remember that, that first year I was, again, I'm 25 years old. I have no idea what's going on. I'm trying to do my job best I can. And he was just one of those guys that just treated you like an equal. Mm-hmm. And I, he said, for someone who did not feel like an equal to anybody I was around, being the age I was and, and the experience I was, it was, it was so nice to have someone sort of look at you and talk to you, you know, like you knew what you're talking about. Yeah. And even if I, even if I didn't feel like I did, he, you know, it was, it was, again, it's just, it's, it just gives you such a, some confidence. And, and just on top of that, he was just a, you know, you've, you've talked to him. Yeah. He's, he's just an, an interesting guy to talk. I'm sure you, I'm sure you found you're drawn to him just in, in yeah. normal conversations. And I always just, I remember he'd come to town for meetings and all that. And it was just like, you know, I always just, I always wanted to sit by him. I always, we'd have, you mm-hmm. go for lunches or dinners. Like, oh, I'd like to, I hope I get to sit by TK at the, you know, cause it's just, he was just an interesting guy to be around. And so we, it was just that one year and, and he, again, he wasn't even living there, but we kind of hit it off a little bit. And then, like I said, he went to Tampa Bay and his, his parents lived in Phoenix. So he yeah. come back to Arizona and schedule scouting trips and make sure he get in that. And so for the next, however many years, I guess, you know, 10 plus years, um, I'd see in the press box and we'd always just catch mm-hmm. up and chat and, and it was just- You so, ever golf with him? You know what? I'm not a much of a golfer. I would much to the dismay of a lot of people here who, <laughs> who said, well, I've wasted 20 years living in Arizona and not golfing, but I have golf with him. He's way better than I am. And, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he was a dear, dear friend and it's, you know, it's, he's, 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 he's the biggest reason why I am here. I mean, I said, I, he, 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 he was the guy who kind of brought my name up to Paul and said, you know, you should maybe talk to Chris. And, and that's, that, that gave me the opening. And, and so yeah. I, I owe, I, he's the reason I'm here. So first I, time I remember seeing you, I think you drove with Paul down to Iowa for maybe playoff game or something. Mm-hmm. It was right after you were hired yeah. as director of hockey, the yeah. operations. Um, and then, you know, a month later, he's like, go. Oh. I mean, that had to be a hard day for you because, you know, for two reasons. One, the guy that hired you is yeah. let go. But two, he just, he just moved to a new job yeah. in Minnesota. So now part of you has got to be like, holy heck, now what? Am, what where, what's my job status? Who am I going to work yeah. for? No, I, yeah, it's, it's you know, I I got hired in April, right as the season ended. And so he got let go. Of, I want to say it was more like late July. But I, I said for those first first few months I was really not living here. You, again, you're, you're, I'm trying to sell my house in Arizona. You're trying to pack up. I've got a young family. I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth for those, for that period. I didn't, you know, I remember when I, I left Arizona to go to the draft at the end of June and that was my, I left, I left for good. And my family joined me the week after and we flew in, you know, so almost like, almost like July one, we came here. Um, but yeah, I, I remember getting that, like, someone in the organization called me and said that they'd heard Paul got fired and I was like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I literally hung up with that. But I said, well, I'm going to call Paul right now, and I called him, and he said, no, it's true. And I was, yeah, it was, I was floored because I was, I would, 
I would, I called my wife and I said, you better be sitting down for this one. Cause we had just bought a, a, a new house and we didn't have, the cable wasn't set up. We didn't even have blinds in place. Like mm -hmm. it was, and she was like, well, what does this mean for you? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I have some contract stability, but doesn't mean I'm going to be here. You know? Right. And, and so Craig Leopold came down to my office and again, I didn't really know Craig Leopold that well. And, and <laughs> that had to be intimidating. Yeah. He's, I think I'd met him a couple of times and, and he, he said, you know what, just you're not, don't worry. You're, you're fine. And you seem like a good guy. And, mm -hmm. but even then you're, even then it's like, okay, that's good to hear, but you don't know exactly. Yeah. And then, so then you're like, okay, well, who's the next guy going to be? And, and then you, and your brain starts racing. Like, well, does he have a guy he wants to bring? Does yeah. he have a, is whoever's going to come here, a guy that has his, cap type guy that he's just comfortable with and he'll go to Craig and say, look, I, mm -hmm. I get that Chris is here, but this is my guy. And so you don't know. And so, you know, uh, you know, you, you heard Billy's name as, as a, as an option. And, and I said, I didn't know him. Um, I, I, but I was kind of, I was kind of crossing my fingers. It might be him. I just, I said, knowing Keith and knowing all these other people that I, we had, Billy and I didn't know each other, but we were one degree separated with a lot of close friends with with that one degree and so i was just kind of taking a chance at like i think this will be the workout mm -hmm. and, and it and it and it went that way and it's been fantastic yeah i mean how do you go about um you know developing that relationship because part of you is like well you know this is almost like another job interview right i mean yeah for an entire year yeah no and i've actually i've i've, I've spoken to him billy about this and it's just like you know how I, you know, I could say the same, like Matt Sells, a guy we work with here and, and Paul hired Matt and, and even TK, you know, Billy didn't hire us. Yeah. Billy didn't know us and we had to put our best foot forward. And I think we did do that, but I also do think that there was just a natural fit that, right. that we got along so well. I mean, I know, I know Billy's remarked multiple times that, you know, um, the, the four of us it just it be, we became, became family and, yeah and it really is amazing to me like if you think about it like a lot of gms would come in and clean house yeah. and you look at everybody that i just passed in this office yeah. either paul or before paul hired yeah i mean brad Robinier, matt hendricks was yep. hired by paul fenton matt yep. sells hired by paul fenton yep. you hired by paul fenton yeah you know uh, the only one he hired was mike murray yeah you know? and that's pretty, a i mean i guess yeah. that's a credit to yeah. to billy too right that he crazy. he came in with an open mind especially and, for a guy that's got fifty thousand friends in the game yeah yes he's you know? not he's not lacking for, for yeah. people who who like him and he likes and and uh, yeah so it's one well, it's you know because i'm sure from his end he's probably as he's thinking over time of will i get the chance to be a gm and he's probably thinking just like i maybe i would think that like okay if i got that chance even i mean this just, would be a guy yeah. i'd like to bring him with me i'd like yeah. to bring this guy with me i is i've worked with this guy yeah. and, and even his coach I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, I think that's one yeah. uh, one sign of 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 how good a GM he's not. He's not stuck in his ways. He's yeah. open to everything. Yeah, the and entire coaching staff. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And so he, it's that's a huge credit to him that he's gave us all that chance yeah. to show what we could do. And yeah. he might have had some preconceived you know ideas that he might have had to say. You know what? I'm not going to do what I thought I was going to do because right. this is this seems to be working. And so. It's yeah, it's it's it you know, for what was yeah, that phone call I got about Paul went from you know, causing a quite a stir for me personally and trying to figure out what was gonna happen, to have it go the way it did. Yep. And I and I and I actually, you know, the, those two and a half months with Paul was great. I, I loved it. And and we got along great and we were I I think we were starting to put some really good things in place. And uh, you know, and so 
I was excited for it. And so obviously when it kind of came to an end, it was disappointing, but it, the way it worked out was, it, it was, it, it was seamless. And here you are two and a half years later and, and assistant GM of the team now been promoted uh, this past summer um, by Billy Guerin. Um, what is uh, like, what is your day to day life like? It's got to be, especially in this COVID world, Chris, just super hectic. Um, every day you're probably waiting for that 3 a.m. email from John Worley to know what your day is like the next day with COVID protocols. And, and, um, last year you and I did that really uh, cool story together where you really walked me through on how the league and the central registry helped this team navigate through very complicated cap situations. What is this like? Yeah, I mean, this this year and last, and even this year, is, it's not been that different from last yeah. year. It's you know, it's like, probably even been more hectic. Yeah, you, I mean, you haven't you know up until recently, you hadn't had the 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 rule you know the rules to help out. In terms yeah, of yeah, and it was you know you referenced that moment last year where we where we were in Colorado and we started everyone started testing positive and we were we got shut down and then we had to come back with you know you know a, a roster that was missing a lot of our players and we honestly in the last you know i lost our track of it but like two weeks ago we went through something very similar to that i mean and it wasn't honestly it wasn't even as much covid but it was i mean think about the erickson eck injury and spurgeon yeah. and brodeen and talbot and kaprizov and and then you throw in um Golagoski and Greenway and Duhame on on COVID, like all of a sudden, we're, you look at those rosters, yeah. those games, and was it Boston and, and Washington? There was, it was, there was a. I, I had to go back to the well with the, with the yeah. people at Central Registry and be like, okay, let's let's walk through this again. Remember that day? I I texted you from some hotel and I said I said I'm doing the math here and I don't I can't figure yeah. out how you're gonna fit all yeah. these guys. Can you explain it to me? And yeah, you, you did, but yeah. it was like I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I don't even know how you're gonna do this. Yeah, no, it was complicated. And I, it was and I had actually I I was I was quarantined myself during it. Yeah. and and thankfully I had I was asymptomatic and was still of sound mind and, and all that. So, cause it was, yeah, there was a complicated few days there of trying to, it's just, you try to, yeah, the cap and we, you know, we had to use some exemptions that we were over the cap. We, we had, we had, there's just too many players. Out. I think we had nine. Was it one of those two games we've been nine regular? Yeah, nine out? in Boston. Yeah, and so it was. In, that's that actually makes sense. It was in Boston yeah. where I texted you, and I'm like, yeah. I don't understand how you're yeah. gonna do this. And I, 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 I can't. You know, if I can't remember, I said back to you, but either yeah. I had the answers because I probably had already I had talked with the league about it and walked through it. But Andrew Wilson, who has been there for a long time, is one of the smartest guys in the game. Uh, you know, he's he's him and Sean McLeod. Uh, are sort of running central registry there out of Toronto and, and Andrew, I count Andrew as a good friend and, and he's, he's just a guy that he wants to help. And, and so I don't shy away from <laughs> calling right. and saying, look, I, I, you know, I, I always try and do my best to try and figure out on my own. I don't want, I don't want to be the guy calling them, but like figure it out for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I don't think they appreciate that. So I think they want to help, but I try and, I try and figure it out. And usually, you know, get close enough and, and then, but then they, they want you to walk through with them too. They don't want to have you do something and then not communicate with them. And all of a sudden they have to call you like, well, this, 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 yeah, this, this doesn't work. And yeah. then, and then it becomes an issue. And then people like you can pick it up and be like, well, what is going on here? I mean, so this yeah. seems wrong. And so. I said, I just, as you said this, I remember covering the Florida Panthers in like the late nineties and the, there was no way you could lose two goalies on the waiver draft. 
yeah. and the Panthers somehow did. <laughs> and so right away, I knew that something went haywire yeah. in yeah. hockey ops, and it turned yeah. out it turned out to be a massive story. They lost two goalies, Yanni Herman and somebody else, to the Atlanta Thrashers. Yeah. And when the mistake happened, like Rick Dudley flipped over a desk, yeah. and it was a. Uh, <laughs> I had <laughs> and my that was fir- back when the waiver draft was everybody was on a conference call, like okay. all thirty teams or whatever teams yeah. were back then. So like everybody heard what went on in the okay. Florida room. So it was so easy to find out the story, which made it much more difficult for me when Rick and, and I think it was uh, Grant Sonia's assistant team found out that, and Mike Santos found out that I knew everything. So I had my, I had my awakening. It was my first season. I said I was 25. I, I barely knew what I was doing. I, not that I faked my <laughs> way into the job, but Don knew he was hiring. He was, you know, he said, I'm looking for someone young. He, he knew what he was getting into. And so <laughs> it, it was minor, but I remember again, I didn't quite appreciate you have emergency emergency recalls. And I thought, and again, this was back then with the reentry waivers. And and if you called up a guy who was making a over 105, he had to go on reentry waivers to come back in. And I was, and we were in an emergency. It was an emergency situation. It was a defenseman. And I remember thinking, well, emergency is emergency. That's, <laughs> if that's not a reason to have an exemption to get back in, then what yeah. is? And I remember I just, so I just sent in my recalls of this player and, and, uh, then the phone rings from Central <laughs> Registry, and like that, you know, I'm still to this day a little nervous when Central Registry calls me. <laughs> and I and it's it was Madeline Sapino at the time; she was in charge of it all, and and she's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I was like, oh, "What do you mean? What am I doing?" She's like, "Well, you're circumventing the CBA with these transactions. This transaction." I'm like, "Oh, I." But I'm an emergency. Like well, that doesn't matter, uh-huh. and I didn't really appreciate what emergency meant and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and and so she's like, "Well, this is not good." I was like, "Okay." And she's so I went down. So I was like, "Oh." So I went down to Don's office and said, "I think we've got a bit of a problem." <laughs> and uh, so he was like, "All right." And I explained to him. He's like, "Okay." And so. He he called he called them. I wasn't there for the phone call, but I assume he told them something along the lines of kid "We got this kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's we're not circumvented. This is not something we're trying to do. He doesn't know what he's doing." And and that got it got handled. Right. But I remember Don Maloney then came down to my office and very sternly told me, Are "You do you got this? Yeah. Like look, I, I look, I know what I'm doing. I I, I yeah. brought on a young guy like." you have to be able to do this. We can't, yeah. this is not, you can't screw this up. Yeah. And I was, I, I wanted to crawl into my desk into the fetal position and just go yeah. home. And, you don't want to be in the Arizona Republic yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. So. And so I was, you know what, but it was, it was within the probably first, you know, three, four months of doing the job. And it, I, I can, I can put myself back in that moment anytime I want to. And I can feel that pit in my stomach yeah. like that. And so, you know what, for something that didn't come to, you know, like you said, losing players or mm-hmm. messing up qualifying offers, something like that, that didn't have any real implications yep. to the team. It was a really good wake up call to know, like I said, there's it's there's a lot there's a lot of details that need to get yeah. done, and, and and it's on me and, and people in my roles yeah. to make sure they get done. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I appreciate that. I mean, obviously, a totally different thing, but I still when I, if I write something or say something on the radio, and then I get a call from Garen or Fenton or Risebrow or Chuck or whoever, and says, uh, "This is erroneous. What are you saying? <laughs> what are you? This is wrong." Yeah. Like I get that same. Sure. like, Oh, you you know you don't want to be be the one that screws something like that up. And yeah, you know, I totally appreciate that. Um. So this this year in particular, I mean, obviously they add the taxi squad. I mean, do you think the taxi squad is going to just like right now? It's supposed to disappear at the All Star break. 
will the do you think the change of protocols now and the not testing asymptomatic will still allow for the taxi squad to disappear or do you think that it will have to still have some sort of yeah, I'm curious. I mean, that, that, yeah, the new change of protocols, it was that just yesterday? Yep. or So I honestly I haven't even spoken to the league about what they're thinking or, and checked in with them. Um, you know, it's, I guess, just trying to guess, I might say that this would dissolve the taxi squad. Um, and, and you know, just presumably we'll get less tests mm-hmm. coming back positive if less people are testing. So my guess is it'll it'll dissolve it. I mean... And again, and for much of this year, we haven't had the taxi squad. You know, yeah. we really didn't have it until was it? I think it came into effect right for Christmas. So we, you know, if, and even that first week, you really didn't take advantage of well, it. Well, we, we weren't even no playing. Yeah, yeah, we weren't even <laughs> playing, and so you know, it 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 served us well here recently with some injuries, but and COVID, and so I don't know if if we if we lose it, then I, you know, I, yeah, I hope, yeah, yeah, and yeah, we, yeah we, let's say we're in a great spot with Iowa. You know, yeah. we're not putting guys on planes generally. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you're on the road, that's one thing. But even if something happened, you know, on the morning of a game day, yeah. we could get somebody yeah. here most times. And, and, and we I, take measures to, if, if we know yeah. that I was not near us, if they're playing in Tucson or San yep. Diego, then, well, okay, let's make sure we're protected yeah. for those last minute things. Right. But, and actually, if you look at your schedule, um, really – um, other than the four game trip to Canada coming up, you pretty much got no long road trips. Yeah, no, we got those so, out of the way you know, early yeah, on. So, so yeah, you know, it shouldn't be the biggest issue. Yeah, so I, th- I think we'll be in good yep. shape. And it's you said it was yep. a, I don't want to say it was a necessary evil, but I, you know, I think I, my guess is people want to go back yep. to how it was before and yeah, and you know, get away from the tax yep. squad. But I've already keeping you kept you way longer than I told uh, told you. I hope, do you have anywhere to be? Or no, I do are? not. All right, cool. So I'll um, I do have some Twitter questions. I won't ask them all, but I do. I, I a couple more questions that I had is um, you know, the, I'm always fascinated by that first call that a a new assistant GM or director of hockey operations makes to an agent to negotiate a contract. Um, you know. I, First of all, how is it important for somebody in your role to develop quality relationships with agents or, um, you know, because some people have different styles. I mean, some people like to be adver- adversarial and some people like to drag things out forever on yeah. contract negotiations. Yeah. How, do, how would you find your negotiations? Yeah, and I would, I would, I would say I'm not adversarial. And I, I do, like I said, I do think there is value in creating relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and you create some better ones than others. And I, I, I think there's a lot of agents that I, I'm very comfortable with. And I don't know, I, I'd like to think that I take it, I, I approach it in a, in a fair and even-handed way. And, and I, I'd like to think I don't suffer from, I don't, I don't get taken advantage of because mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think it helps. I think you know, showing them the respect and hey, look, you, there are plenty of times to get angry or you just get frustrated. Frustration, frustration comes almost with every contract negotiation, but yeah, you, again, you're, we appreciate that. You don't take that personally. And, and, you know, there's, I, you know, there might be times where I, you know, in my own, I get angry, in, you know, in my own time and, and, but I've never, I've, I would be hard pressed to think of a, a negotiation that I thought I was sort of losing my cool or was not, you know, was not in a, you know, up coming at it in a fair and, and honest perspective. Like I, 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 it's, I can see what these guys are doing. It's no. of course, like, why wouldn't they want to get more money for their players of just like, I want to have, you know, save a little money for the team and the cap and all that kind of stuff. So I don't take it personally at all. And I, and I, and, and, Overwhelmingly, the agents are—they're good guys. Where I—I I like a lot of them. I—I I don't. 
there's a lot of fantastic guys to work with. So yeah, it's it's you know it's a, I I enjoy the How, process. You mentioned that Bill likes to negotiate contracts himself. How do you guys decide who takes the lead on certain contracts? There like, did he do Kaprizov or did you or or like how does that all work? Yeah, he was yeah he was always the lead on Kaprizov, but I I mean the nitty gritty probably. You're yeah, doing. I mean yeah. I uh, I can't even. I mean I I've Paul Theofanos, who's Kirill's agent. Uh, I've dealt with a time. I don't know if there's an agent I've talked to more than Paul. Yeah. In the last year or two, because I, I did I did the entry level deal with Kirill however, a couple of years ago with, with with Paul on that one, and and so was, yeah, we met with Paul multiple times in person. I was always with Bailey when we did that. So uh-huh. you know, he when when they would have phone calls, Paul would call Bailey, but you know, uh, it was yeah, we were both in the said I I I sat across from. Paul, the three of us sat together many times, you know, going back to last, you know, we started negotiating in season last year and all summer. And so, so yeah, it was, you know, like that, it was just, I don't know, there's no right. I did, I did Fiala's last year, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was all me. And a couple, a couple times Billy topped on the co- phone call with, with the guys from Newport and, and yeah, it's just, I don't know, there's. Did, was Erickson Eck him or you? Like, that like was, you said that yeah, was the easiest That contract. was him, yeah. It was one of those ones. I did Eric's, I did Joel's uh, previous one. And for whatever you know, I um, you know Claude Lemieux's uh, yeah, Joel's right. there, Joel's uh, agent, and, and th- those two guys played, played together. Them. So you know, it was just it was, and again, it didn't. It was a pretty, you know, it was, it was a lot of just our both of our sides aligned. So we yeah, became, so yeah, he did that one, and it wasn't a surprise. Like he didn't call you up and say, "Hey, by the way, I just signed uh, Eric's oh, eight no, years." Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> and you're no, like, "Wait, what? Eight no, years?" No, no, we 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 mapped this out. I will, you know, I said I I not to like try and steal his thunder, but I, you know, I, I put as much stuff as I can together. If right. I know he's going to grab a hold of one, I want him prepared for it. Right, right. And, and, and so, he said it literally took like overnight. Like, it was, yeah, yeah, I was just saying it was, it wasn't more than 48 hours. I don't yeah. think. And, you know, I, I remember like, I was in Indiana, in Indiana yeah. and I was in, it was, a, I was actually on vacation in Michigan, but I was in like South Bend yeah. area. Then we went to Culver, Indiana, uh, my friends and I, and all of a sudden I get this call like, uh, Hey, just get prepared. I think, uh, the Wilder yeah. sign Eric's back to this eight year deal. And I call, I call, I start making calls and yeah. it's just like, holy crap. Yeah. And we've, and we've come up with, I think him and I have, Billy and I have aligned a sort of a strategy and how we approach these things. And, and I, we, we think it's been pretty, uh, we, we, we try to be fair. Like we mm-hmm. really, I mean, and, and I think Billy comes at it from, he's, he's, he was a player. He, he was a player who was in big time contract negotiations. He's made, he made yep. good money. He was, you know, so he, he gets that side and he can. And so he, we're not trying to take advantage of guys. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're really not. Like I mean, hopefully they work out in our favor, but hopefully they work out. Right. They're mutually beneficial. That's what you really want to find. That that we get a deal that we're happy with, and the players happy too. We don't yeah. want. We I'd, I'd hate to think that guys think, oh geez, they really they yeah. really took advantage of me on that one. Yeah. Because I, I I don't think we are. I mean, we've gotten I think we've gotten a lot of deals done. Like I said, I you know, Brodeen was an, another good. Like I I did that one and. You know, again, Billy would pop in here and there with calls here and there. But like, it, I think we've found. I think I like to think that these agents have feel like you know between whether it's Billy or I that there's a, there's a there's a there's a uniformity in how we approach these and that there's it's it's a fair and and we we're you know we're we're trying to trying to build a, an environment a culture of a team and and bonding right. and all that. And it's like and not that we're. It's, you know, but you're just trying to. We want everyone to feel good about their place here and their role, and mm-hmm. and so, 
Yeah, so I think it's awesome. I think it's been good. Yeah, um, two more of the, these questions, and then I'll just throw you a couple Twitter questions. Uh, one, um, you mentioned Fiala, the club er- uh, elected arbitration. How did that all come about? And and um, you know, do, when you're doing that, like you, these things always settle. Like, do you have to still behind the scenes put together your brief and? Oh, pro- that one I definitely did. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I definitely one, did. I and I've got I've seems I've, like a lot of wasted work sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I've you know it's 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 again it's just the process. You know, right. I don't. I said uh, Craig Oster was the lead agent on that one and and i've known craig a long time um he's he's Great a guy. he's a winnipegger um he's yeah uh so i've known him a long time and 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 we said we, we battled it out for a long time at the, and at the end he he called me and said hey that was a that was a, i really appreciated that you know they didn't ever got never got ugly or mean yeah. or personal it was it was a i, I felt good about that and I, I i agreed and but yeah it was you know it's I definitely, I've got a, there's, you know, there's, there's some firms that the, that teams use that you, that you kind of call in for these arbitrations. And I generally try and wait as long as I can to, before I sort of activate them. But there's a, there's a group that we use, I've always used, and actually Minnesota used them previous, um, out of Toronto and, and, um, I've, I've got a great relationship with, with the guy there and, and I've dealt with him on, uh. I went with him on my first one was Dan Winnick. We had a arbitration with. Yeah, he and, played here. Yeah, and so he did. And so I've so this, I've been with him a long time, and and so yeah, so I I kind of will tell him, hey, look, and I'll start talking. The beginning of summer, I'll say, hey, look, we got we got Eck and we got uh, Fiala, and I can't remember who else we might have had last summer. Those like, just 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 start thinking about it, right? And but. And then, as you know, obviously Eck got done, and, we, and then as, as, as I got the sense that the Fiala one might become something, that I was like, all right, we'll just start really thinking about it. And then he, you know, he's, we've got a good relationship. He'll he'll wait as long as he needs to. I'll say, what when do you need to really start working on something? Because like, when do you need to start the clock on? Because it's not, you know, it's we pay those guys, and and so he'll tell me, like, look, I need, you know, I if we're within ten days of the hearing. I got to start working. I got to really start working on this. And then, so that one, I said, yeah, it's start working. And we got to, I mean, we exchanged briefs on, we exchanged yeah, briefs. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was within 48 hours, hours yeah. of, of the hearing. So we, we did, uh, it was, that was the closest I've come for a long time. I think Lori Korpakoski was the last one I went to that close. Yeah. And so. The only one I can remember ever getting closer for the while was Mikhail Granlund. It was like the morning of it? that they settled, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because now you can't sit, once you go now. Yeah, you can't sit. Yeah, because we, I would say we went with, yeah, you, you once you go into that. Hey, you know what, I might be wrong on Granlund, it was Bouchard, Pierre Marc Bouchard, okay. yeah. yeah. And no one wants, again, you want to avoid it. You want to avoid, like, it's, yeah. it's well, even it's one thing, I guess, you know, you, you exchange briefs so they can, the player can see what we wrote, we can see what they wrote. And again, I think in the same way that I just talked about contract negotiations, mm-hmm. I'm not, we're not looking to kill a player. Mm-hmm. And especially, especially a player, I guess, of, of, of Kevin's um, skill and, and value to us. Like, we, we, you know, it's, it's a business. He knows that too. He's both sides get it and you know our brief wasn't it wasn't a big takedown of kevin right. fiala by any means it's i mean you know you just try and we're just trying to slot him in where we think comparable players are and mm-hmm. and and so you know I, I can't remember exactly now but i my guess is that we probably both our brief and the players we've had similar comparables right and so you know you, tr- you try and find that balance of we want to make our point but we're not going to be disrespectful to players right um 
40, 49 minutes into the podcast, I haven't asked you about Parisian suitor yet. Um, I won't ask you, you know, like, I know that there's certain things that you, you can't say, and I've talked to Billy Garen enough on podcasts about it. So everybody, I think wild fans understand what happened. But when that idea is first brought to you, one, what's your reaction? And two, then when you start crunching the numbers, how do you get to a point where you're like, this is actually, Billy, kind of doable, and here's how we're going to make it work, not only this year, but years two, three, four, whatever. Yeah, no, I would I would be lying if I said the first reaction wasn't well. That doesn't seem possible. <laughs> um, just knowing what the the from, just strictly speaking from a cap perspective, and and we we all seen what the cap hits the, the sort of the buyout cap hits are, and yeah, that's to do two of them. It was a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. even 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 one would be a considerable cap hit. You're 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 taking on. Um, so yeah, I. I would say it was, I couldn't wrap my brain around it for a little while. Because I think, and I, you know, I, I think Billy said on record, it was, this was not a spur of the moment decision. Yeah, yeah. This was, this was many, this was a long while in the making. So, you know, it, you just, you know, you kind of talk around it here and you kind of talk with Billy and talk with Matt Sells and talk with Mike Murray and all these guys. And you just think, well, maybe we can do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the sort of cap not, Go climbing the way you know it normally does, you know this COVID sort of pinch on it has not made it any better. But you know you just kind of we we kind of chart a path and say all right, let's look at our roster and let's what we're doing here and and I don't know it's we ultimately decided it, it was yeah. feasible and 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 so hopefully you know we said we're you know because even then even if you know we're gonna we're we got a cap hit this year on them that's I think a combined about five million dollars on them but you know. It did free up ten million dollars. Right, their cap hits would be fifteen million if they're here, mm-hmm. and so you know we're not we're not ten million dollars under the cap right now. Yeah, so there you then you start thinking, okay, well, it's it's there's going to be we're going to have to make some changes to this team right now because mm-hmm. we can't keep this team together, and so you have to sort of weigh that. It's okay, well that, that's one year. You know what, what's the importance of this year? And you know we got some good good momentum last year, and you want to keep that going and. And so then, yeah, and then you just, you know, because the next year that, that $5 million cap hit combined becomes 12. Yeah. And then it becomes 14. And I think that's, and that's really like, oh, shoot. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. And hopefully, well, we just, we made the decision that I think we can do it. I yeah. think we're going to figure this out. And so, I mean, it has to give you, uh, you know, it has to make you feel confident when you see how many, how good some of these entry level guys are because you're going to need them. That's, a, I mean, yeah, that's what we, we need it. I mean, you know, in, even the last couple of weeks with Connor Dewar and Matt Boldy coming in and looking, looking, playing the part they are. And yeah. again, moving forward with, with Addison and, and Rossi and, mm-hmm. and it, again, it'll, I mean, we're talking about three years after this one worth significant capital. It's not just going to be the guys that you're seeing Iowa right now. It's going to, it could be the next wave. The, yeah the the Wallstets and the Lamboses and yeah. the Hunts and the Husnadinovs and all those kind of guys like yeah. that you're not really thinking about but you know you, we no put this out that many years that's who mm-hmm. you're gonna think about okay those guys are gonna be in their twenties yeah. and they will be NHL players so and you got all these college guys too McBain yeah and, yeah it's yeah, yeah. crazy yeah it's I mean we're lucky to kids. have a pretty good little yeah. little shelf of, no doubt of guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I'll only ask you a couple of Twitter questions. I have a ton. I'm sorry if you're listening. I hogged the entire podcast. Um, this is actually a good question that I never really ask about, but Connor asked some about uh, no move and no trade clauses and just 
you know, does that cost a player money when you ask that? Or is it like, what type of negotiation when somebody is like, oh, by the way, we also want to, you know, 10 team, no trade. And how do you go about that? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's again, it, it's unique sometimes to, you know, some players just inherently have more leverage than others, mm-hmm. right? And obviously the ones who get those have their, you know, and so you kind of try and I think back to someone we've done. Yeah, you're, you kind of, honestly, that kind of stuff doesn't come into the very end even. Yeah. You, you're so focused on really, really just the AAV, just uh-huh. the average value of the contract, average annual value. And because that's, that's, that's the number one C. That's what you think. Oh, when you talk about players, oh, he makes this, he makes that. So that's just, that's the big focus. And so that's really all you talk about for the longest time. And, and, and term. And, you know, those are the two. The term and the AV is really all you focus on. And once you kind of figure that out, and then you start thinking about, okay, is there signing bonuses going to be part of this? Um, is there, yeah, no, tr- is there movement, you know, clauses? Um, and, and then so... That's that where that's and as as you get towards the end, that kind of becomes then the horse trading of like, you know, say we're we're at you know, we're at five million dollars on a on a we're willing to give a guy five million dollars a year, and he wants five and a half, and you're kind of getting close, and you'd say, and he's like, well, I want you know, I want, I want to know move too, and you're like, well, then. You're not getting five and a half, and then you, you kind of mm-hmm. it just it becomes a little small. Or I want Simon. It's like, well, then we're not going to give you five because you're mm-hmm. so. And you guys pretty much have stood firm that no signing bonuses, right? That's been a yeah. big thing. Yeah, we've Billy tried. We've tried yeah. to. Yeah, we've tried to. Um, you know, it's just other than Spurge, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's just you know, I mean, I think we're of the mindset. Look, you're going to get your money. It's mm-hmm. not you know, it's guaranteed, and yeah. and so you know, it's just it's yeah, it's it's. I think if we can, if we don't have to do them, then let's not. And, right. And so then, yeah, so we, then we'll say, and again, in the sort of the spirit of compromise in these negotiations, if we say, hey, look, this is just something we're not entertaining. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe we will entertain a no move or no trade. Right. And that's, that's the give and take. And say, then, then people know, okay, these guys don't do that, but there's a little flexibility with these other things well, with them. Uh, one more question from a reader, uh, from a Twitter person. And then I just have a couple fun questions uh, that were sent to me by uh, people you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I did not warn you about. Um, but nothing embarrassing, don't worry. Um, one is, uh, just Jack has a great question that I know a lot of young kids listen, young people that are in school listen to this podcast, especially when they have people, when I have people like yourself on here that just, you know, they dream of getting to where you are. And you're, you're a perfect example of somebody that you never play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. You were a stick boy mm-hmm. you, and you worked your way up as a 25 year old director of hockey administration for the Coyotes, now assistant GM in the Minnesota wild. What is uh, some advice that you would give to a kid like Jack, who's in college that wants to get into the hockey ops? Yeah, it's, I, and I, I used to, in Arizona, I would go speak at some law schools, you know, class, sports law classes and all that. And, and I always, I, you know, I, I do try and I, I do feel a little bad sometimes. Like I said, we just went through my story of how I got here. And it's not lost on me that having an entry, my, my dad having been part of the business probably eased it a little. Not, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that I didn't get my job because my dad, you know, my mm-hmm. dad's not, you know, he's not, he was never a GM. He's, he's, you know, a very popular guy when he worked and he was, but he was not, you know, he's not a name people remember in the sense in the same way you would remember, you know, former GMs that are around forever. And so, you know, but th- because he was in this line of work, uh, my whole life was, was around this. And like I said, when, when I got the chance to connect with Don Maloney, I was able to 
have people like Jim Schoenfeld call on my behalf. And so, you know, that that's, it's not lost on me that I had that, you know, maybe I started on first base kind of thing. Um, but it, it comes down to there's, it, that that was far from being a given just because I'm Michael Hearn's son I wasn't gifted a job and I had I put the time in I, I really did I I you know not just going to school but I I said I I was I was a stick boy and I was I I in some ways I, I could I could honestly say I, I I sacrificed some at a young age I you know I when I was in college I was working five six nights a week I was you know doing I was just, I was focused on, I wanted to get this, I wanted to make this happen. And I, even when I was in law school, I was in, I was in Boston and, and I became the stick boy for two, the first year in Boston, law school, I was the lockout year, but in 0405, but then the next two years I went there and I, I showed up one day on, on the last day of training camp and I showed up and said, can I fold towels? And they said, no, we're good. And I just didn't leave. And I, <laughs> and and I kept, and for two years I was just, I would, my, my apartment was down the street from the, uh, the TD garden there. And I would just show up every night and they, they didn't pay me a dime yeah. and I would show up every, every game for 41 games yeah. and just full towels and fill water balls. And I just, I just wanted to be around it. And so yeah. I shouldn't say it's a sacrifice I made, but as I enjoy it, I love doing it, but you just, you got to put the work in and, and, yeah. and, and again, it's, 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 it's competitive. I, I, it's, it, trust me. Like I've been on the outside, even in, I, you know, I had, it took me almost a year to get back in when I was out yeah. after Arizona. And so, you you got to just. Well, I think of so many good hockey people that I know that lost jobs and yeah. never get back in. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Hard. It's a, yeah. yeah, and I didn't know. I it was yeah. I was optimistic. I was hopeful, but you don't know. Yeah. And it's it's a competitor. There's there's you know I and I I think about that every day. I I it's you got to keep yourself sharp and keep yeah. yourself working because yeah. there's. I, I will say like what you said. I think it ha- goes with every business because even as a sports writer, like I remember when I was so I started as a sports writer when I was fifteen, and um, I I got into Sun Sentinel as a freelancer, and I remember I used to there was this minor 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 league hockey team up in West Palm Beach called the West Palm Beach mm-hmm. Blaze. Bill Nyra ran it, and he was commissioner of the league, owner of the team, GM, coach, and I used to drive up there every home game, yeah. cover the game write 20-inch articles, send yeah. it to the Sun Sentinel for free. They'd yeah. cut it to two inches yeah. every single day. Yeah. Every game, I'd write these 20-inch articles, and this much would appear in the paper, yeah. like, yeah. in a breeze. And yet, I kept on going and kept yeah. on going, and finally, like, like everybody at the Sun's like, who is this yeah. kid that keeps on sending these yeah. 20-inch articles on the West? But, I mean, it, it kept me around there, yeah. and eventually, they send you to stuff. Yeah, I remember yeah. I said I, I worked for the, in the Bruins locker room for two years, and I remember – so I graduated law school, and I, that summer I got the job in the county. Where did you go to law school again? New England School of Law. So okay. It's right in downtown Boston. And I, so I got, so that summer I get the job with the Coyotes. And I remember, I think Boston came to Arizona pretty early that season. And I'm a, I'm generally a quiet guy in the locker room. I didn't, even as a kid, I didn't say much. And so I remember, you know, all the, so the trainers and the equipment guys obviously knew me really well. That's what I was hanging out with for those two years. And like, I remember, so they come and play us at, at whatever it was, jobbing.com or back then, or it was, and, and all these guys, you know, all these players, like, you know, Chara and Bergeron kind of come out and be like, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm the, you know, director of hockey ops or whatever I was back then. And they're like, what? Like, they were like, a year, like, not even six months ago, you were filling our water bottles and folding our towels. And I never mentioned, I was just, I didn't ever talk about, oh, I'm going to law school and I want to do this. And they just couldn't wrap their brains around, like, what are you doing? Like, they... I was I, I was I was sort of joked like like, like the Arizona Coyotes just hired stick boys to be their director <laughs> of hockey operations and so it was kind of, yeah you just you you pay your dues I guess and, yeah. and I don't know it's just I mean it's it, there's a whole lot of luck I mean if Don Maloney's not looking to hire someone yeah. 
who really doesn't know what he's doing yeah. and has a guy he wants, then I don't get the shot. And then yeah. maybe then who knows? Maybe I never even you know you're coming to law school. I don't have that much. Time. I mean, you're 25 years old. You don't get to say, well, I'm gonna I gotta wait for my dream job. Yeah. And then maybe it just it never happens. And yeah. So. So, uh, it's amazing how much of life is luck like that yeah. too. It's it's crazy. Uh, a couple of last questions. Uh, first of all, was Tony as tan in Florida as as in, Ar- in Arizona as he is here? Because I don't like I get it in Arizona where the sun <laughs> is beating all day, but how does he get it here? I think he's more tanned here yeah. than he was. Seems in Arizona. a little strange. Yeah, it's suspect. Yeah, no, so. he's I, he's got something. I don't know. He's I mean, he's, he's Portuguese. Portuguese, right? So. Yeah, yeah. A little darker complexion, and yeah. so it must come easy to him. Yep, exactly. A um, uh, question from a guy named uh, Aaron Sickman wants to know uh, how many steps you walk a day. <laughs> I, I, I'm I, probably my OCD again. There, I, I don't, I don't relax very easily, and it again, my wife will attest to. I, 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 I if I don't get my steps in naturally, I just pace and pace and pace. And so, yeah, especially la- last year was unique. Last year in, in the <laughs> bubble, we would go into places, you know, the, we were in warm weather cities all last yeah. year and you would be there for a few, you know, three, yeah. four or five days. And so you'd have some time off. And yeah, it was, it was always my goal last year to have each day be 20,000 steps. Wow. Yeah. And I remember running into you uh, twice in Arizona, uh, pretty much in the same spot. And it dawned on me that you were just walking probably around. Circling, yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, I think I bumped into the strip. We, we were yeah. in Vegas a lot last year. Yeah. I, can't, I can't tell how many times I walked up and down the strip because we were, again, we couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't yeah. walk in any restaurants or stores. Yeah. And so that was our only thing. And so you just, I, yeah, I've, I've fallen off a little bit, but I, I still yeah. try and, and uh, get that going. Because, yeah, I, I just, I have a hard time sitting still. Uh, last two uh, questions from a guy named Billy G. I don't know who this is. Uh, one uh, wants to know about your love of bookstores. Um, tell me about that. So I just, yeah, I guess I just said it's a good, I, I have a hard time sort of relaxing. I think my most relaxed, I can, whatever I do, if I, I look for bookstores because that's where wow. I relax. And I, and so that, that I don't know what it is. I, I love books. I love reading. I love buying books. Even more, I love reading books. I love being in bookstores. And so I'm, uh, yeah, I am, Every city we go to, I always Google, is there a good, you know, independent bookstore nearby? And and so, yeah, one wow. of our, that was, our, that was probably one of our first real bonding. We went to that, my first season here with Billy, we, we had a trip to New York. I want to say it was right before Thanksgiving, maybe in 2019. And, and we had, we, we, that was, we were together and we had a few days in, in Manhattan and we, we, uh, I was like, we were walking and I was like, well, I'm going to the Strand, which I love going to the Strand and in, in yeah. In New York and and he's like he's like I don't know what that is and or maybe I'd heard of it never been and and so and he he's like let's go and we we had, had we had we had yeah you know, we had lunch and went over there and I told him I was like you, you I could sense he was kind of just waiting with me I was like just so you know I'm going to be here for about 3 or 4 hours so <laughs> you I'm guessing you don't want to do that so yeah he's like all right let's well, yeah, I like it here this is cool but I'm going to go and shop somewhere else yeah. so but yeah, and, I love it. And last question for Billy G, and I don't know what this means. This came via text. You, uh, ask him about how he researches bands. Do you know what this means? Unless it was a typo. How I research bands. I wonder if it was a typo. No, I mean, I... Do you research bands a lot? Well, I'm just, again, I'm I'm, I'm a little... I I do... I'm guessing he's just referred to... I I like to think of my... I'm, I would probably classify myself as a, a pretty big music snob and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And, I, and I like... I'm just... I'm very, uh, very, I'm very much a completist or whatever. I, I need to know, like, I can't just, 
hear a song and like a song or like a band and not have like to find out everything about them. And, okay. and I've, and so, yeah, I, I, I've, 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 I've actually spent a lot now that I'm, you know, you're, I've got a family and kids and a important, more important job than I did when I was younger. Like I don't have the time to commit to, but yeah, I, I could have not that long ago in my life. I, you could have said, all right, you know, I could, you say, all right, I could list every Rolling Stones album and every track wow. on each album and I could tell you all the people involved. I, I was, you said, I'm sure again, the, the OCD in me is just sort of, uh, I, I, I loved, you know, I've gone down many Wikipedia rabbit holes where I, I can't get enough of, I, of just learning about yeah. things like that. And, 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 you know, I said books and music and, and, you know, actually before that, before I was even younger, I, I love movies. I, yeah, I remember, you know, in, in I was in high school, I'd, I'd watch every single Alfred Hitchcock movie there was, which wow. was an unusual thing for a, 18 year old kid in 2000. Yeah, to, right. To do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> including the silent ones. <laughs> and so I just, yeah, it's, I, my brain works that way. And, and I just, that's awesome. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, it, it call, and that, those are the kinds of things that actually call me down and, and yeah. give me, I find, I find relaxing. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, what'd you do in Denver? Like, you know, because it was a day mm -hmm. game. Like, yeah, I had this great yeah. night in Denver. I'm like, you know what I did? I went back to my hotel. I sat on the couch and I watched YouTube concerts for like yeah. four hours. Yeah. And I go, I, same thing. I like watch a concert. Next thing you know, yeah. I'm watching a different concert. Yeah. And yeah. I just, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. That's, that's the way I relax now. It's just not yeah. even no TV, like just yeah. concerts. Yeah. Know? No, I, yeah. I, and I love yeah. just, yeah, reading. I just, yeah, I, I love, I love music. And, and so it's just, yeah, I, I've actually, it's funny we're doing, I, I was like, number of years ago i got into podcasts that's all i was doing was listening to podcasts and yeah. all that and and I, it, for the, about the last year i don't think i've listened to a single podcast because i was like <laughs> I just except need, for the straight from the source so, oh, sorry yeah i shouldn't say <laughs> of course of course yes all my all it? mike uh, russo I, podcasts I, I, I am very much yeah. up to date on i was talking to mike murray in boston the other day and he was telling me that he listens to my podcast and right away like my heart's on like god i god knows what i've said about <laughs> yeah. anybody that's yeah. like sometimes you do these shows and you don't think yeah. that anybody oh, yeah, anybody yeah. that matters that you need to not yeah. be pissed at you is listening yeah. no half I, the time i get a uh, player pissed at me it's something yeah. i said on the podcast yeah no it's just I, I i made a decision about a year ago i was like you know what i'm just not gonna not that it makes you not that you get angry listening to podcasts with people talking about hockey but it's sometimes you're like ah, they, really, they don't really, they really don't, know. don't know what they're talking yeah, about yeah. and no absolutely and, and i'm sure yep. you even sense it from yep. your end of things yep. you you know you know more yeah, than your even, average joe yeah. and you kind of like but you, even uh, like from my standpoint i'm sure there's a gazillion things i'm saying that people in the sure. game are listening to yeah. is like that's yeah. a bunch of crap yeah. you not know? to yeah not to not yeah. to pick on you but yeah i, I probably yep. yeah, it's, it's it's just you're not behind the scenes yep, you're, you're close to behind the scenes but you're not yep. quite behind the scenes and there's yep. a difference and yep. and so yeah I, I just i had to i was stopped last week i was just getting frustrated like this is what am i listening to this for yeah and i was like i just i need to go back to listen to music and yeah. calm myself down yeah the one thing i like about podcasts now is that you can you know li listen in like fast like faster oh, speed yeah. and, and I, like I, even I, at yeah. one and a quarter it actually goes through fast yeah. and it fa sounds yeah. normal so um well sorry if i've ticked you off no i was, podcasts, I, was so. <laughs> I know i said i said it's uh, it was, was fun that the other thing about listening to one i was like yeah i really i really cut them out of my diet yeah my my media intake diet so maybe i'll get back on board I I don't yeah. think I was, I can't even imagine listening to this one. I, yeah. <laughs> my own sound, my own voice. I've never. 
Trust me, I'm I'm well aware. I, like I never listen to myself because I know how annoying I am. I also don't read my own articles. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, this was a lot of fun. Uh, the longest probably podcast of the season. So oh, after I told you it'd be a half hour, we've gone about seventy minutes. But uh, I think I think this is as I've said uh, to you at the very beginning. I think this stuff is good for for wild fans. They right. see your name all the time. Now they know who you are, and and probably give you a, a give. You know, they probably appreciate more than just the work that you do, the way that you worked your way up in this business. So. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the chance to come on and yeah. this, it was, I had a fun time. Yep. Thanks. So uh, that is Chris O'Hearn and we'll be back with one of our sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, thanks to Chris O'Hearn for joining the Straight from the Source today, the 100th episode of Straight from the Source. Thanks to all of you for always listening. Uh, Big week for the Wild coming up here. Uh, Home and home series against the Chicago Blackhawks, including Hockey Day Minnesota. A late start on uh, Saturday night, 8 p.m. start. But uh, it's going to be incredible festivities down in Mikado. They've made it an absolute holiday down there all week long. Just a bunch of different cool activities, alumni games, uh, high school games, college games. So hopefully you enjoy another uh, edition of Hockey Day in Minnesota. Then a big week next week, the Montreal Canadiens come to town. Rem Pitlick returns uh, to maybe stick it to the Wild on Monday night. And then the Wild head out to New York for a couple games against the Rangers and Islanders, including the unveiling of the Hendrik Lundqvist retirement banner as he goes to uh, the top of Madison Square Garden for the rest of eternity. Um, Thanks for listening to Straight from the Source. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and review. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Talk to you next week, everybody. (laughs) 